Hello, welcome to Postcolonial Space. I'm Masood Raja, and in today's episode, I will briefly talk about how to read a postcolonial novel. Now, this is a question that I think about a lot, but sometimes people pose it to me. And my idea is to first briefly describe what do I mean by a post-colonial novel and then share some of the techniques or methods that I personally use and find useful in reading such novels. So first of all, what is a post-colonial novel? Generally speaking, any novel written by someone from former European colonies, for example, places like Kenya, Jamaica, you know, India, Pakistan, Bangladesh. Now, do keep in mind at one point in the world, 86% of the globe was colonized. So, any works written by authors from these parts of the world. Two, we also in the field of postcolonial studies include the diasporic authors authors who are either from Indian diaspora, or let's say Kenyan diaspora, living in England, United States, Algerian diaspora in, in France. Most of these authors writing fiction, especially novels, especially when it is concerning their immigrant experience, first generation or second generation, or if it relies on their memories of their native country or the history of the native country, we also sort of group them within the canon of post-colonial studies. So that's roughly what I understand by the post-colonial novel. Let's now go into talking about some of the techniques that can be useful in benefiting more from these works of fiction. So after you've familiarized yourself, let's say, with the author, with his or her background, location, you know, just to roughly familiarize yourself with them, the first thing that I usually look at is the setting of the novel. Now, setting, in a sense, it's spatial setting, but also it's temporal setting. So the spatial setting then allows me to figure out whether or not the place where the novel is set is fictional or realistic. If it is realistic, then I can do some more research about the city where the novel is placed or the specific location within a city where the novel takes place or it's, most of its action takes place. If it's a fictionalized setting, then I can also do a little bit of research to check whether or not it's based on a realistic city or a real city that the author might have imaginatively transformed. Now what that does is knowing the spatial setting allows you to do a little bit more research about the culture of the place. And within that culture, it also then allows you to know, you know, what part, what particular part of that geographical setting and subcultures is the author mobilizing. So for example, uh, when I teach uh, 
a novel called The Dragon Can't Dance, right? And it is set in Trinidad and Tobago. And most of the characters in the novel are African Trinidadians, right? And only one character is an Indo-Trinidadian. So by knowing that the novel is placed in Trinidad and Tobago, a realistic setting, I can then go and do research about Trinidad and Tobago and I learn about the ethnic divide there, that there are two political parties, one predominantly of Afro-Trinidadians and the other of Indo-Trinidadians. I also learn about the history of slavery there, but also the history of the indentured labor that was brought from India. All of this then informs my understanding of the novel. Then I go into the specific sit setting of the novel itself. So within the novel, the setting is specifically a poor neighborhood, right, called Calvary Hill. So that then gives me additional knowledge that this is a specific subculture within an urban space which has its own character, its own logic, and that I need to understand the characters according to the logic of that particular community, right? Now, the temporal setting then allows me to see when is the story taking place? Is it during the colonial time? Because that will have a different dynamic. Or is it during the post-independence phase? So this particular novel, The Dragon Can't Dance, is when is temporarily placed in the setting when Trinidad and Tobago have already gained their independence from England. So temporality and space then allow me to do further research, to look things up in order to understand the cultural references, the historical references, and the spatial references better as I read the novel. And you can apply it to any post-colonial novel. You know, you pick up, let's say, The God of Small Things by Arundhati Roy, right? So there is no way you can actually really enjoy and understand the novel without understanding that it is in Kerala, that it is in Southern India, that Southern India has a specific culture as a large, and within that Kerala has a further differences from the main Indian culture, the languages are different, the politics have been predominantly run by, you know, the Communist Party, and that our characters are not Hindu, but they are Christian, right? All of these things we will know if we know the setting carefully. And then, of course, the novel, if we put it within its temporality, then we know that part of it is contemporary Kerala, part of it is during the colonial times, the historical parts, and all of that knowledge of the setting then makes us understand a god of small things better. After you understand the temporal and spatial setting of the novel, it's uh, important to take a look at the plot and understand the plot, right, from point A to point B, what happens in our story. And within the plot, what is the role that the flashbacks play, 
right? How do, do they augment the plot? Now, in a post-colonial novel, sometimes the authors will not give you a traditional flashback. And you also take a look at the characters, right? So the plot and characters, sometimes you are within a flashback of a character, but that could be a historical flashback which kind of points you to a trauma or an experience, collective or individual, that can inform you about a character. But in certain cases, the flashbacks are kind of vignettes. They are aside. And what they do is they give us additional information about the history of the place and the people and the community within which that character exists. A great example of that is Michelle Cliff's uh, novel a bank so plot wise it is the coming of age story for the character claire savage right but if you look at the additional flashbacks and vignettes that she adds there those are mostly historical and they inform of about the history of jamaica history of slavery itself uh, then the history of the maroons so by the time we get to know claire savage and read her story, we have also been made privy to the history of Jamaica itself, the history within which she is coming of age. So the novel, while telling us a story through its plot, is also giving us additional information about Jamaica itself. So it's giving us a better understanding of Jamaica. And I think when you read characters in a post-colonial novel, it is always important not just to read them as individual characters, whether they are flawed or not, but also the determining circumstances which, within which they live, right? What are they during the colonial time? Are they male or female? And if they are, how many of their actions are being over-determined by powers that are outside their control? That's really crucial in a post-colonial novel. For example, if we read Buchiya Mishita's novel, The Joys of Motherhood, right? We know it's the story of Noego and her struggles of becoming a mother and raising her children. But if we also try to learn additionally that it's not just her story, it's also the story of a character who is detached from her native culture and hence its support lives in an urban space created by the colonizers in which she has no access to any safety net, right? And when she doesn't have that, how does she struggle? What kind of solidarities does she build, right? So it then gives us a greater understanding of the character herself, but also of her struggles and that part of that struggle is caused by a cruel, unjust system. So that's really also an important thing to do in a post-colonial novel. Next, another important aspect of reading a post-colonial novel is to pay attention to language, to the tone and the allusions that the author uses. So in a traditional metropolitan novel, you know, the allusions are mostly Western classical, but in a post-colonial novel, they can be to the mythologies of a specific culture. If the novel is set in India, 
the allusions could be to Hindu mythology, to the Muslim history, to history of any other religions, right? And sometimes the authors intentionally do not break down those allusions. So, if you're reading a post-colonial novel, it would be important to unpack those allusions. Sometimes the authors also, of course, use the vocabularies, the metaphors, the proverbs used in native languages, right? Chenwa Achebe's Things Fall Apart is a great example of that. And understanding that is crucial to understanding the novel. And sometimes the post-colonial authors, while writing in French or English, bend that language, infuse it with the vocabularies, mostly unglossed, from their own primary cultures, from Urdu, Hindi, Pashto, whichever culture they grew up in, right, or is are drawing upon, which makes a post-colonial novel far more complex to unpack for anyone who might not be familiar with these traditions. So it is crucial to pay special attention to what an author is doing with the language itself and how are they playing with the English language, playing with the French language. And then there is, of course, the question of how they incorporate historical information, sometimes allusions to other works of art, right, which could come from a Persian tradition, from the Hindu tradition, and give them as a backdrop or offer a rewriting of them. I and mean, if you look at Salman Rushdie's first novel, Grimace, it was a sort of a rewriting of the 12th century poem, The Logic of the Birds, right? And it's important to understand what is he drawing from and how is he playing with it. All of these things in, in terms of language, how they bend it, how the language is made to work for the post-colonial author, how it is infused with the vocabularies, allusions, metaphors, proverbs, of a certain native colonized culture is important to really grasp and understand a post-colonial novel. And that adds yet another layer to careful reading of the post-colonial novels. Finally, and I find this to be the most important part of reading a post-colonial novel, is to ask yourself as to how the author is literally bending the novelistic form itself, right? So if you are in America or in Britain or in Europe, you expect a novel to do certain things. But in a lot of cases, the post-colonial novelists will even bend the form, right? So sometimes they will infuse it with a storytelling tradition, let's say, from India, from the Arab world, for example, the Dastan tradition, the epic tradition. Rushdie uses it in Midnight's Children, right? Kuratalan Haider basically uses it to write her River of Fire. And it's important to know how they are bending the form to their own use. Uh, Quitsia's novel, Waiting for the Barbarians, right? Part of it is a story, right? A satire in a way of the fear of the barbarians at the gate by the settlers. 
But the second part of the novel is is a journal kept by a colonial traveler across the landscape, right? Now, how does he bind those two together? Of course, is important to understand, but also that he is reconfiguring the novelistic form and what we expect out of it. And that is crucial to keep in mind. I mean, Garcia Marquez does that in A Hundred Years of Solitude, right? Uh, by using magic realism, by not telling us what is real and what is imagined or what is magical. So all of these things that the post-colonial authors do to reshape the novelistic form or re-articulate it or imagine it differently are also crucial and important to post-colonial studies because these knowledges and this analysis would enable you to read a post-colonial novel differently, probably more carefully, and maybe in the process of doing so, you'll enjoy it more and you will learn the form better and learn more about post-colonial cultures. Now, do keep in mind that we should never make the mistake of expecting a post-colonial novel to carry the burden of an entire culture. A novel cannot stand in for an entire culture. It usually doesn't really reflect a whole culture. So it is important to always remember the specific context, the specific setting, and the specific actions of the characters to understand a novel within its own context culture and subculture. So overall, these are some of my thoughts and practices in reading post-colonial novel. And, uh, you know, I know these are not exhaustive and not really very well planned, but I thought if I shared these thoughts with you, Maybe these could be useful to you. Now, you might have also noticed that I've generally used the same topics that we think of when we read a traditional novel, you know, the setting, the plot. But I have added a bit of additional layer of complexity to that, and I think that will be required anytime you read a post-colonial novel. So I hope these thoughts are useful to you. I hope they help you in reading post-colonial novels more carefully. I hope they encourage you to read post-colonial novels more carefully and also enjoy them. That was my intention in recording this episode and I hope all of these ideas could be of some use to you. Thank you so much for your time and for your support and I will now see you in another episode on some other topic related to post-colonial studies. Until then, thank you, and as always, peace and love.